Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is created, the Gadigal and Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. This is the Ash London podcast. I am, you guessed it, Ash London. Reformed radio host, new mum and human being on a quest to live my best life when it feels like the world around me is imploding. Sound familiar? Every Tuesday we do a bit of mum chat. Every Thursday I do my favourite thing on the planet and I interview a guest. From celebrities who have entertained us over the craziness of the last two years to everyday people with inspiring stories. This is the Ash London Podcast. Welcome back to season two of the Ash London Podcast. I'm so excited to be back in my studio talking to you guys again. I have missed this so much. Um, It's been, wow, like six weeks since I did an episode, I think. In that time, we have Sleep Trained Buddy, which has been absolutely life-changing, um, but he's also really grown up and gotten big and learned to scream and he's a lot more of a handful. So I think doing this podcast two days a week is going to be tough, but, um, I certainly feel like myself again, being in here with you guys. I'm so happy. Uh, this year we will continue with our Tuesday mum chat episodes and our Thursday general interview episodes where I'll be speaking to um, celebrities and non-celebrities, just people with really interesting stories. And today's episode um, had me in tears, Dom, my um, audio producer who has no children of his own, I believe also had a bit of a teary. This is just a really full-on story and a really important story. And I'm so happy to have Alex on as our guest. So I want to take you back to the 10th of January when I came across an Instagram post that had just been posted a couple of hours ago, but was already going um, viral. It's since had 93,000 likes and I'll just leave the comments, 2,500 comments. And it starts with to at Scott Morrison. I was just about to hiss, but I'm a big girl. I'm not going to hiss at Scott Morrison. Dominic Perrottet, the New South Wales Premier, Brad Hazard, and he's also tied the Liberals. This is our baby boy, Ethan, born Sunday, January 2nd, 2022, and who nearly died because of your incompetence. He then goes on to tell a pretty incredible story. I won't read the post because we are about to hear from Alex exactly what happened. As someone who um, was pregnant and gave birth during a pandemic, this hit very, very close to home, this story. Um, But I think for anyone living in Australia during COVID, this will hit close to home because we have always believed growing up that if you are in danger, if you're sick, if something goes wrong, you call triple zero and you will get help. This incredible harrowing story is proof that our health system is failing. Um, And when this amazing couple needed help, it was not available. 
It has a happy ending. I'm going to tell you that now, <laughs> just so you know. Um, and let's get into our chat with the incredible Alex. Hello, how are you? So good. Now, I remember being where you are now, you know, a couple of weeks out from a new baby and the kind of the haze and the days and it's kind of been, what's the word you say when something's like exponentially bigger? Expo- mm, I don't know. Yeah. We're both something, tired something parents. Like we don't know what the words are. Yeah, yeah. Um, an exhausting couple of weeks though. It's definitely been different to our, our first son. It was a quiet bubble with him and this one obviously a dramatic start but then yeah. there was a, a, a bit of a whirlwind frenzy of attention as well. Yeah. Um, once we were all looking like he was going to be okay. Yeah. Um, but, no, it's sort of died down now when we're getting into the, the swing of things and, you know, falling into the, the newborn bubble. Yeah. Well, let's start with baby number one because I think it would be interesting to kind of draw the comparisons. I mean, I don't know if you and Mel, your wife, are the kind of people that are planners or have a set idea of how you want things to be. But when it came to baby number one and Leon, was it all pretty straightforward? Did it go according to plan? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was um, fairly straightforward. Like we were, you know, trying to get pregnant and, um, I mean, we ended up doing IVF and, you know, was successful that way. And um, Leon's pregnancy, I mean, the pregnancy with Leon was straightforward. Um, and then, you know, when the labour happened, it was a, uh, a long, a longish labor, about six, 16 hours. Um, and then, um, you know, I had, a, had to have a little bit of help coming out with the, what do you call it? The vacuum Ugh. something, <laughs> but, um, otherwise, you know, fairly straightforward. And, um, uh, after that, yeah, he was a normal healthy bub and good eater, good sleeper. And, uh, yeah, we were just sort of pre pandemic and everything. So mm. it was just the, the usual kind of Lots of family visits. Yeah. How you imagine it's going to be, how you hope it's going to be, I suppose. Exactly. And your wife is a trained midwife. So is she practising at the moment or is she on mat leave? What, what is that looking like? She's on mat leave now. She's on a mat leave for a couple of weeks before Ethan was born. Um, at the time of our son Leon being born, she was studying to be a midwife. Um, she had transitioned from, um, she was formerly an interior designer uh, that's that a change really yeah no it was a big jump but uh that definitely was she knew that wasn't the life for her and uh, she's always been you know far more interested in sort of eugenistic yeah you know things of how she can help society in some way and um yeah midwife she sort of fell in love with the the idea and then the practice of it um yeah she fell even more in love with it so wow, um is- no it's been great well, and we'll get to it, but who would have thought that a couple of years later, I mean, if she had been an interior decorator in the car <laughs> on the way to the hospital, she may not have had the skills required yeah. to get us the outcome. Um, yeah. The second time around with Ethan, yeah. how different was, was it a similar conception, pregnancy? Like did it kind of, was it all looking like it was going the same way? Yeah, completely normal. Um, uh, no issues whatsoever in pregnancy. Um and yeah, I mean, uh, we did midwifery-led care. Um, uh, we had, we did, we did do private care for Leon um, at the time. Um, but you know, after that experience and with Mel starting to be a midwife, mm. um, we um, went midwifery-led care this time. It was great. Um, everything normal. Mm. Uh, absolutely no issues along the way. And then um, yeah, and then the, the the birth happened, and 
it was just a, a, a not a lot different, but like um, in terms of the beginning stages of labor and everything yeah. like that. But obviously, it was um, yeah, it um, it changed very rapidly. Really, mm. final minutes. Talk me through the moment you knew she was in labor, whether that was very early labor or what. But like the moment you thought, oh gosh, we're about to have a baby. So she, like her her waters partially broke the night before not not they didn't really break mm. um they partially broke but that was like 10 o'clock and so we sort of knew oh you know baby's probably coming and called up the hospital and they said you know no need to come in um you know just see how you go and everything like that and so we went to bed and um we're sort of expecting maybe it'll kick off during the night but nothing happened and we both slept um but mel woke me up just a little after five o'clock in the morning and she just told me uh, you know oh look my waters have just broken um and then the the first contraction started shortly after we both got up again just a little bit after five Mm. after her waters broke she did get a contraction pretty soon after and they sort of started and everything was going normal like just called up our friend who was coming around to um look after our son while we you know went at the hospital but at that stage, it was still, you know, pretty early days and Mel was comfortable and yeah. we just wanted to labour at home for as long as possible and an environment she felt comfortable with. Yeah, and awesome. that's like, that's, um, that's you know, best practice really. Totally. And, uh, yeah, about 30 minutes later, though, the contractions really ramped up um, and uh, a friend was sort of still on the way and but still nothing unusual like, so you weren't stressed you know, like, at this point. You just thought, oh, it's, no. it's progressing quickly, but yeah, we, we're yeah. good. Yeah, and so we're getting pretty close to about 6 o'clock at this stage and then at about 6 o'clock our friend arrived to watch Leon, but within five minutes contractions went from, you know, pretty normal and still, you know, a, a decent amount of time apart mm. to just really intense, um, really short gaps and, you know, Mel was you know, going through it, but still in a way that I wasn't stressed because, you know, the, the contractions with Leon, they were pretty intense. Like, yeah. and they went for a long, long time. And uh, I still didn't think anything was out of the ordinary in terms of the contractions ramping up that quickly. Mm. And then a friend got there and this is about six o'clock. And mind you, the first contraction was only just after five. Oh, wow. And our friend got there and uh, we just sort of said, oh, yeah, look, look, let's do it. We're going to the hospital. Um, and I was helping Mel out of the shower. She was just, you know, doing her exercises yeah. and getting through the contractions in the shower. I helped her out of the shower and I just went to get her a towel. And then when I came back with the towel, she was on all fours and I, I saw, oh, the head's out. Oh, my like, gosh. And, like, that was it, like. Uh, and then she said, you need to get more towels. <laughs> Not just one to dry the shower off yeah. me, but wow. So, again, I went and got more towels. Was so part of you two... looking for the bad towels or at that point you're like, any towels will do? Whatever. You don't care if it's the good Sharon and stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so went and got more towels, came back, you know, laid them out all on the floor, and then within one push Ethan came out completely. <gasps> Um, like, to, and Mel caught him. So Mel, like, delivered her own baby. Um, and if, if that had been the end of it, like, if he had come out kicking and screaming, that just would have been, you know, a cool story. Cool story. Like, yeah. she got to deliver her own baby at home. It's great. You know, there are lots of accidental home births every year and mm. 99% of them turn out completely fine. 
Um, and because she was a midwife, you know, we felt even more like, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but at that time, you know, still attached to the placenta and everything, and we had to get to the hospital because we had no medical supplies or anything on yeah. hand and still got a birth placenta and everything else, and, and we were planning to have it at the hospital. So I called an ambulance because I knew we needed transport to the hospital. Yeah. But um, when Ethan came out, he was just, I mean, he still, it, maybe, maybe the time we went, I wasn't thinking it completely, but when he came out, he just didn't look right. Like mm. he was just completely white. Um, and most babies are, you know, probably born blue and yeah. then they pink up quite quickly. But he was born completely white and he, he's just no muscle tone, like completely floppy, like a rag doll. Um, and his eyes were open, but he was just sort of staring at Mel. Oh, and he wasn't. And he wasn't breathing. Um, and so that's when I think, you know, Mel started stimulating him. And, you know, sometimes babies can come out stunned. Mm. Um, and so she knew, you know, just going to stimulate for a bit. But after a minute of stimulation, nothing was changing. If anything, he was just getting worse. Um, and uh, I was on the phone to the ambulance then and sort of describing the situation to them. And so minute after minute, it's just getting worse. And we're only on the ambulance on the phone to the ambulance for about eight minutes, but it's Which a long is time. an eternity. Like yeah. I'm sitting here thinking one minute would be one minute too long. Like yeah, eight minutes is a very exactly. long time with a baby that is not right. So that was really stressful, but the, I mean, the, the, the operator was trying to be as supportive as she could be and talk us through what we, sh- we should be doing. But, you know, sort of explaining, you know, my wife's a midwife. Mm. Um, we are stimulating. We are doing everything. Um, and I think it's when, you know, Mel started giving Ethan breaths, like sort of the, the beginning of CPR. And um, how did that feel I, for you watching it? I mean, she probably has a better idea of medically where you're at. But for you to see your wife start to perform CPR, because for a, a lay person like us, you know shit's bad when the CPR starts, right? Like that's. Yeah, that's so that's when I got really, really scared um, and was just. I started, you know, putting a lot of pressure on the um, the operator, just telling us, like, is there an ambulance? What's the ETA? I think basically that's all I was saying was, mm. what's the ETA? What's the ETA? Um, and the operator could never give us a uh, – she she was quite open to the fact that she couldn't find an ambulance to dispatch. Um, and, and because of that, she was like, I can't give you an ETA. I'm so sorry. Um and then she sort of started saying, you know, look, there might be one we can get from mascot. And again, it sort of might. And again, well, is there an ETA there? Um, no, I can't give you one. And mascot's about 10 minutes in the opposite direction. Mm. And so I think Mel just sort of, Mel and I looked at each other and we just knew that we had to do something. We'll take it into our own hands and do something. And if I can ask, sorry, at this point, she still hasn't birthed the placenta. So, like, no, okay, no. so baby. So I think in her mind, she knew. Baby's still connected to placenta. It's still getting some, yeah. Um, uh, still getting something to, to yeah. keep it going, but it's a very small window on that. Um, so basically, I just chucked a dressing gown over her, and picked her up. Um, she was carrying the baby the whole time. Um, She's carrying the baby with an umbilical cord that is still attached to her person. Like that is, yeah. That is a, I can't, that's a vision for the neighbours yeah. to see. That is a, like, that is just <laughs> yes. 
Because we forget. Very early in the morning, we, so luckily no one's in the hallway. <laughs> because we don't see that often. You know, the baby comes no. out, you cut the cord, and then we forget. Yeah. You know, we don't often have that, you know, but that is the reality of what it looked like. That's insane. Yeah. No, and so, I mean, now we're sort of looking back on it and, you know, laughing about, oh, luckily the cord was long enough and that kind of <laughs> thing. because some people have short cords. Yeah, yeah. So, it's just, but at the, so yeah, we picked them up and, and just left the apartment. And our friend is still there with our son. God and help she, us. She's just been shielding him the whole time. Um, I don't think we really talked to her. I mean, she's, she's like uh, absolute one of our best friends and mm. um, completely shielded Leon from what was going on. And, but she didn't even know what sex the baby was. Like she just just knew what had happened and then we'd got, and, and we were gone. Um, and so we got in the car and it's about five kilometres to the hospital, um, about 10-minute drive. You know, I probably did it a lot faster than that. But <laughs> put Mel in the front seat um, and I was driving in and, yeah, we're calling the hospital on the way and, you know, she's still giving Ethan CPR um, but she's, you know, Kind of, it's almost continuously doing CPR then. Um, and so that was probably the most terrifying bit. But in my head, I thought, I like, once we get to the hospital, then we'll be okay. Yeah. And were you talking um, at all? Like in the car, what was the atmosphere in the car? Was it, I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, I think we were both, we were still talking to each other and she was talking to the baby the whole time. Like, um, you know, just like, come on, baby, come on, baby. And, uh, yeah, I think we were just almost talking and like, mm. you know, looking out for other cars coming and, mm. you know, because at that, that time I, I was driving, but like it's the most terrified I've been driving because yeah. you've got newborn strapped to the front seat with a seatbelt um, with, you know, a placenta still to birth and, mm. yeah. Um, you want to run just, red lights, but you also know yeah. that, yeah. It's like when you drive home from the hospital and the baby's safe in a car seat. You've never driven slower in your life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a, definitely some pace to us and we sort of on the phone to the hospital as well. So we're talking to the hospital and it was still quite hard to explain everything that was happening and, mm. um, you know, even to the operator because, like, the operator was like, we're going to go, we're going to go. And she was like, are you sure? I was like, well, we can't, we can't wait. Like, he's not breathing. She's like, okay, you should go. Um, and then the midwife's on the phone and they're like, what do you mean you're driving in? So we're trying to explain it and everything. And I think the midwife, one of Mel's midwives had said like, oh, are you sure you should be doing that? And that's when Mel probably um, and I were like broke down a bit because we were like worried about the baby. Yeah. Like, and then once the she, when she heard, to do? Like- when, when she heard that, she was like, yeah, drive, just keep yeah. driving, um, come straight in. Um, and then they organised for all the midwives to come downstairs and meet us at the front door. So basically pulled in the front door, like key still in the ignition, they just ripped Mel out of the car, put her on the wheelchair and then had, um, uh, you know, little, what do you call it, squeezy breath thing. Yeah. Oxygen. Whatever that is. Yeah. Have you got a park now? Because I know I gave birth at the same hospital. You pull into that yeah. thing and there's like the maternity drop-off, but then you've got yeah. a, Pull back around the roundabout and park the car. No, I they mean, just said leave the car. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I mean, they the pulled ticket, us, they, putting they, the they ticket. Us, yeah. <laughs> basically, we just dropped the front door and they're like, leave the car. Um, 
so I don't even, I can't even remember if I took the keys up. Like they just pulled us both out of the car, rushed us straight up um, and then cut the umbilical cord. And then as soon as they did that, they were like, yeah, code blue. Um, rushed him straight to the NICU and, and they took me with him. And so while Mel was still, you know, had to birth the placenta and um, they took me with him. And then once they were there, they started putting him on, or started intubating him. And then I think the doctor could see me and then he talked to someone and they took me away from that. Mm. Um, and so I went back to Mel and then, yeah, it was just sort of like a, a two, three hour window there where I think, you know, the only question I was sort of asking is like, is he going to be okay? Is he going to be okay? And, um, Mel was almost, you know, she just given birth. So she's a new mother, but at the same time she was still in her midwife brain. Mm. Um, and she was sort of flipping between the two and she was almost reassuring me at one point, like, you know, he's going to be okay, blah, blah, blah. But she really had no idea. And I, I keep asking the doctors, the, um, the nurses, like, is he going to be okay? Um, and they can't really give, um, they didn't know. So <sighs> they're not really giving me a straight answer. So you're in the labour ward at this point with Mel. Just- we, this was in the NICU um, okay. in terms of when I'm asking the questions and yeah. then they took me back to the labour ward with Mel. Um, and so that's when we were just sort of over the next two, three hours, not really sure what was happening. But and you how know, often as soon were as you getting me- updates? Were you just alone in a room waiting for people to come or did you have constant communication from the start? Almost constant communication. Right. They were great. Like, you know, multiple midwives um, looking after us and just almost talking to us and um, constant kind of back and forth between the, the NICU and us where I was like being taken in at certain points. But mm. they were like, you probably don't want to see, yeah. you know, all the blood transfusions in us. They had to do like a little get an, uh, a cannula down its umbilical cord, um, that sort of thing. But, they, I mean, they basically threw everything at him mm. as soon as they came in, um, blood transfusions, um, you know, intubated him and everything. And they were up to date. They're like, okay, look, you know, his oxygen levels are 100%. Um, but, you know, he's been getting oxygen from other things, like, you know, he's been getting CPR and he was on the oxygen machine and everything. So, you know, his CO2 levels are very high. Um and then they, they're sort of explaining everything because it's just like completely foreign to us where they've got like a, a cold mat and they've wrapped them in that and they, they're sort of explaining, look, this is just cold therapy where we lower his body temperature so his vitals, I mean, it's, he, his body starts just preserving his vital organs and especially the brain um, and it's like a first treatment response now um, and that's 72 hours. And so it just meant like, it's like, okay, so when can we hold it? And they're like, well, after the thing finishes, so 72 hours. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I was pissed off that I had to wait eight minutes after yeah, my yeah, C-section yeah. because he was early and they need, like, I I mean, I can't, I just, to be so told that, was... that 72 hours. 
and that was another thing, sort of anything to make him okay. But yeah, um, but basically, once the blood transfusion happened, which again was very quickly within a couple of hours, his vitals sort of stabilized. Right, and they were like, okay, yeah, we're really happy with how it's looking, um, but it was still two three hours of dread, and mm. then the next maybe. 24 hours were stressful, but not to the, you know, we knew he was going to pull through, but yeah. we didn't know how well he would pull through. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at this point was starting to tell family. And it was just very hard to communicate what was going on yeah. um, or even what state we were in or even understanding what had happened really. Mm. Um, but then by about one o'clock in the next morning, um, he came off um ventilation so he's breathing on his own completely so by the next morning we felt great like yeah, we knew it was going to be okay and when could uh, you we... see him from when he was in NICU how long before you could actually see him before I think Mel. I went with him to the NICU um and then as soon as Mel sort of birthed the center um you know maybe within the hour we, we could go I, I took her over but I was she knows the hospital because yeah. she works there so then I was I, I was taking her to the NICU and uh, she was like, well, which part of the NICU is he in? And I was like pointing to where it is. And in her head, she didn't tell me this, but in mm. her head she's like, oh, shit, that's the worst one. Yeah. Well, that's the, oh, right. that's the, that's the highest level. Um, and then, yeah, we, um, you know, once he'd gone through that cold therapy, it was just like, okay, we could hold him, we could start to feed him almost that that day and everything, the doctors were sort of saying, you know, you absolutely did the right thing coming in like you did. Um, but then that, I guess that's when it started to also become not scary at the time, but even more scary looking back on it. It's like, mm. yeah, if you didn't do what you did and if Mel hadn't been a midwife, um, you know, we think it would have been a pretty tragic outcome. Yeah. At what, I mean, I don't know if anger was an emotion that you have felt at all. I mean, I'm a, hot buttered Lebanese woman and I feel like it wouldn't wouldn't have taken me very long to go from I'm so relieved and of course I'm so grateful but I'm angry that I was in that position was that an emotion that you felt like what was the emotion that came after the relief of he's going to live yeah so I think after we held him for the first time that's when we felt the wave of relief but then pretty soon after that is when I started to get really angry Yeah, because I was in the hospital and we're in the hospital all week. That's a very short window of time to be, to be there as an outsider looking at it. Um, and these people are, you know, just providing, they provide us with the absolute best care. We couldn't have asked for better care, but at the same time they are just stretched to capacity and it's mm-hmm. just like you're living in the hospital and every all, all the time you're walking down the hallways and you're hearing them have conversations about, you know, they're not being provided more leave, uh, sick leave and they're being forced to go home without pay and, and they're coming in for four hours and there's not enough staff on for the evening and they can't get more staff so they're sending staff home to sleep for a couple of hours and then come back for another 12-hour shift that night. Um, they're like running short on supplies and it's like every single conversation we were hearing, uh, you know, when, you, when you're at the cafeteria, when you're um, you know, just in the kitchenette and they're, they're making tea and talking to each other, it's just about how pushed to the brink they are. Mm. Um, and that's, I guess, 
you know, I was frustrated by that, of what they were going through. But then you turn on the TV and it was like a press conference and like Dominic Perrottet was talking about how strong the health system is and, and that it's coping. Mm. Um, and it was like the complete flip opposite experience of what we're seeing. We're nowhere near a COVID um, ward. I mean, there were obviously some um, mothers and um, newborns that were um, isolated mm. and, um, but really it's like we, we're not being, we're not near the COVID ward and it's just completely, it doesn't, it didn't matter. It was just completely flawed them. Like, yeah. And if it's affected this ward that much, I yeah. can't imagine what an actual COVID ward would be like. Exactly. And, uh, I, and that's really what sort of tipped me off and, uh, it's just sort of reflecting on that in the week and, and then, you know, we're having multiple conversations with people and we sort of telling them and it's nurses and doctors. And they were just saying like, what do you mean you could get an ambulance? Um, they, it, so they were like, you know, you should, you should say something about it to someone or, you know, make sure you follow mm. up with an investigation. In Australia, um, you're in 2022. That's just unheard of. Like we're not in a war zone. No. The expectation is this is what keeps Australians feeling safe. If something happens, I can get an ambulance and I can not die. And, I mean, even in the midst of the pandemic, um, it was just sort of like Australia has had so much time to prepare. Mm. Um, like Omicron wave wasn't a surprise. No. Like I think the public saw it coming because everyone had been talking about, you know, we are going to have a ramp up in um, infections, but it almost seemed like nothing had been done to um, bolster health services. Mm. If anything, it was sort of the perspective of, you know, health has been coping so they don't, they don't need anything else. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I did my little social media not so post. little. <laughs> Did you realize yeah. when you, I mean, when you put that post together, I'm sure that you knew it would, you know, people would um, respond to it. But how long did it take you to realize that? I mean, I hate the word it's going viral, but it did. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I don't know you, and I, I saw it within, you know, I think an hour or two of you posting it. So at what point did you go, oh, shivers, like, you know, and was there any fear around that of, oh, God, like I've opened up Pandora's box here or at that point were you just like, I need everyone, like the more people know about what the reality of this situation is, the better? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we so Mel and I were talking about like whether we share it because at this point we're sharing it because we want more people to know about it and we want more attention on the issue that healthcare workers are going through. Yeah. And so I think we were prepared for... um not not for it to blow up like it did, but we were prepared for some level of scrutiny or um, just like, you know, people reaching out and asking more about it. So we were sort of uh, anticipating that, but like the the rate at which it happened and the intensity at which it happened um, did take us a little bit by surprise. I think more so Mel mm. than myself because I work in, I, I work in marketing for yeah. a cinema company, so very different, but. Um, you have uh, an idea yeah. of how this shit works. Yeah, like, a you know, sort of, okay, this is a, a platform we have access to and mm. um, if it takes off, it, it takes off. And I guess I was just more so 
posting it there almost as like not a press release, but like something that, okay, if I put that there, mm. we can try and get some, um, hopefully some media outlets um, getting attention on it and just sort of talking about the situation, um, about the health system not coping. Um, and then I guess we didn't really sort of anticipate how much people would connect with it and see themselves in our position. Um because it's still at that point, it felt like a story that had happened to someone else um, and we were just watching it. And then I think ABC News was the first to get in touch with us. And, um, yeah, we did the story with them. And um, by the following day, um, I think every single major network had reached out to us and um, had all organised for us to talk to them. And to be honest, they're all great about it, like, they were like, we don't want to put you through, you know, interview after interview after mm. interview. So we'll do them all at the same time and we'll share the the, oh, it's so good. the coverage. And, um, yeah, they're just sensitive yeah. about everything. Um, but I think that, yeah, we just didn't really sort of anticipate about how shocking this would be to people. Yeah. I think because um, so many people have had babies and you feel so yeah. vulnerable when you have a baby at the um, best of times. And I guess the ultimate reason... Mel and I were sort of sharing the messages because by the at the end of the day, like, you know, we're still going to be working through some stuff for a little bit longer. But yeah. at the end of the day, we were the lucky ones because, yeah. you know, Mel's a midwife. Um, but how many, like, it's that's incredibly rare situation for us to be in, but even more rare that Mel would be medically trained. Mm. Um, and we just did not want anyone else, any other parent to go through the situation with a tragic outcome. Yeah. And then once we started sharing the story, we started seeing all these other stories come in about, you know, paramedics were reaching out to me saying, you know, sort of thank you, thanking us for sharing, but also telling us like they're doing lights and sirens call outs, you know, where they're doing full, you know, fast as they can, um, traffic dodging runs, you know, going through red lights, everything, full lights and sirens, and they're doing it for an over an hour. Um, because they're the closest ambulance. Um, and then sort of, yeah, after that whole media whirlwind, New South Wales Ambulance Service were the first to sort of get in touch with us and just sort of explain the process of how the investigation works. And, again, they were really supportive and Mel and I were like, you know, we wanted to share this story not as a way to sort of blame mm. you guys or put any more pressure on you. We just wanted to sort of highlight that we're a small story amongst all of this, but and there's got to um, be more. Yeah, we've got to re- we're reflective of how the um, health service is not coping and how much you know support you guys need. Um, so they were great, and then you know shortly after that is when like Brad Hazard called me, and then Dominic Perrottet shortly after that, which is all very surreal. That is very surreal, and it's one of those things where. If you know it's going to happen, you want a week to kind of get prepared, but obviously you didn't have that and you've no, just got him on no. the phone. So how did that, I mean, if it's private, it's private, that's fine, but how did that conversation go? Did you know he was going to call? Uh, I didn't know Brad was going to call. Um, Brad was the first to reach out. Um, and what did he say? And, well, we, we had like a kind of a, just a long conversation about everything and he was just explaining like, you know, what he's going to be doing in terms of following up with New South Wales Ambulance Service and everything. 
and then I'm trying to explain, like, look, I don't want actually any more pressure put on them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I just, and then I sort of explaining, you know, I just, I guess we just want more transparency about what's being done to support healthcare workers, everything like that. Um, and so I got to sort of say my piece to him um, and he was sort of explaining like, you know, how, oh, how government works and everything like that. Ugh. It just went over my head and I was just sort of like, <laughs> look, I just want to, you know, we just need to, what, what else can be done? Are we yeah. doing absolutely everything within our power to support healthcare workers right now? Because from the looks of it, I don't think we are. Mm. You know, even just accommodating more sick leave. Yeah. Um, that's not being done. Um, and then shortly after that, you know, he, he actually, um, Dominic wanted to get in touch but, like, actually requested if he could speak to me and um, through, through Brad. Um, and so, you know, we, we actually organised a, a chat with him and, um, to be honest, he didn't really want to defend anything. He just he just wanted to apologise and listen mm. um, and, you know, talk to us. And, I, again, I got to say my piece to him. Um, but, yeah, he didn't try to explain anything, yeah. which I actually sort of appreciated. But uh, I just, again, was wanting to say, you know, like we don't want an apology. We want more transparency about what can be done to support healthcare workers. Yeah. Um, and I get, yeah. And, and then after that, it was, you know, still a bit of a frenzy with media attention and everything like that. But I think ultimately we, you know, we were concerned. We started getting a bit anxious about the message getting twisted or something. Yeah, of course. Um, but again, ultimately we were really pleased at the end of the day with how the message had come across about, you know, it's just about, getting more support to healthcare workers. Yeah. But you were so clear. I think that's why, I mean, it seemed to me like this perfect storm of the fact that Mel was trained, that you've yeah. got a, 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 a marketing background and obviously have a really great way of communicating clearly because your post was so clear that it, you know, yes, what happened to you was unfathomable, but you did make it about you. It was very yeah. much just about let's be transparent and honest here the system isn't coping. I've seen it with my own two eyes and we all need to get our head out of the sand. And yeah. I think for a lot of people living in Sydney especially, it was a real wake-up call because we were all able to, to put ourselves in that situation. And for most of us, we know that if we were in that situation and not you guys, the outcome kind of would have been bad. So I think you, you should be commended for the way you were able to not make it about yourselves and, you know, stir drama for the sake of it. But, you know, the intention was a lot bigger than that. So I think you you nailed it. So well done. Yeah, no, and so that, I guess that was the other thing. It's like we obviously had um, put ourselves out there with it, but I guess we weren't fully prepared for just how intense it gets. Mm. And the, the intensity of it all was pretty draining. And then we were like, so okay, draining. you know, we're, we're very happy to share the story, but at the same time we're like, can we just go back to being in the newborn bubble? <laughs> yeah. Got- and then you've got all these other people, I'm sure healthcare workers, paramedics, other parents, other who would have reached yeah. out with their own stories. And then you read it and then it becomes, you know, like I, I'm kind of in the public eye, So I know what happens when yeah. people reach out it kind of does pile on top of you. So have you been able to kind of separate yourself from that and get back to just being a new mum and a new dad? Is that even possible now? Yeah, absolutely. And um, to be honest, the whole experience was actually uh, hopefully therapeutic for us because 
it just forced us to delve into what happened and, mm. and confront it and and share it with people. But like the the overwhelming thing was just how much support we got from tens of thousands of strangers. Um, you know, uh, and you know, with very, uh, I mean, I've worked in marketing for a while and a, a business, and you know, you see all the trolls and the, mm. the the negative comments that happen online. Um, even to you know people like yourself, I can't even imagine you know how much you would contend with like dealing with um, just nasty comments. Yeah. But like in our situation, we just didn't have that at all, um, and it's just. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and it was just crazy, mm. absolutely crazy. Just the overwhelming support and um, love, and just it was sort of about Ethan. That um, yeah, that 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 did give us some sense of fulfillment. That okay, we we did the right thing. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess then you know now we're in the the post version of it, and it's like, has it made a difference, mm. or you know, is it just adding to the conversation, but at least highlighting the failings of of what's going on. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I still do feel this lingering sense of healthcare workers just going through the shit. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we and know government, we know how long change takes, you know, and I'd hope that this means that the next time, hopefully there is no next time, but you know what I mean? Like that we are better prepared and I think, you know, change happens through stories and through us yeah. sharing stories and that's all we can do, you know. Like, yeah. And, yes, we can remember it at the next election, but this is how change is affected by outrage, by people being able to hear a story and put themselves in those shoes and then it becomes personal because nothing changes yeah. until, you know, it. it's a personal problem to us, which I think is why things like, you know, Australia's refugee problem, like probably nothing will change for because normal people find it so hard to put themselves in that situation and, you know, Absolutely. those stories don't feel um, personal to us. And I, I guess that was also the, the the disappointing thing for myself was like I had to go through this experience to open my eyes to what was happening um, and, you know, my, my, Mel's a healthcare worker but even, even being the partner of a healthcare worker, I still didn't fully appreciate just how mm. bad the situation was. But not only just how bad it is now, but like how bad it's been for yeah. years leading up to it before the pandemic, yeah. where the the support is is lessening, not increasing, mm. um, as population is growing. Um, That's one thing I and, keep getting from healthcare workers uh, is people reaching out saying, "This isn't new. We have been dealing with these problems for years. It's just taken the system to be completely crippled for it to become very apparent," which I think yeah. is completely heartbreaking. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, we received the absolute best care. And, yes, we do have an incredible healthcare system with incredible people working with it. But just because something is strong doesn't mm. mean it can't break. Oh, yeah. um, and it just sort of feels like we were on this trajectory of waiting until it breaks to do something about it. Mm. Um, and it, it's just like it's just completely unlike any other industry where they can't go on strike. Um like people will die. People they can't. They they're not going to work less. Mm. Um, and so it just really does feel like that, that. I guess being taken advantage of, where we are reliant on them doing the absolute best job, um, and stripping away their resources. And sort of from the outside, you look at it and they're going, "Okay, well they're coping." It's like, "Well, no, they're not. They're just 
they still want to provide the absolute yeah. best care possible. Selfish assholes um, don't become nurses and midwives. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what I mean? They go into exactly. other industries. You don't get into that because you're self-serving. You get into it because you have a passion for helping people and that's not going to stop just because you're exhausted. You know, it's – Yeah. I uh, didn't think about it like that. It's a really interesting perspective. Um, how is Ethan now? I should make sure everyone yeah, knows there's a very happy he's, ending. He's, you're home yeah, and everything. Yeah, no. Um, he's great. He's got a great big brother that absolutely adores him. Um, although there's a lot more negotiating going on between <laughs> us and Leon. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you're happy for that normal stuff though. Like the normal things yeah. that you deal with. Dealing with yeah, a toddler absolutely. who's jealous of a newborn. We've got that. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, no, it's been, it's been wonderful really. Um, and you know, we've still gotten to see uh, our family now, which has been great. Um, you know, just share newborn cuddles, everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, and uh, you've been through it of just your whole day goes and all you've done is like <laughs> look at them most of the day. And smell their heads. <laughs> and smell their heads and it, it feels awesome. Yeah, it's magic. Oh, mate. Well, thank you so much and please give big cuddles to Mel who I think is the collective hero of many, many mums especially who read that story and were just like this woman is superwoman. So Oh, yeah, I mean, us. you know, it's just, uh, I mean, it, again, another silver lining of the whole experience is it made me fall in love with her even more. Um, yes. But she'll always be the hero to our family, along with all the healthcare workers that looked after us. And, um, yeah, a big thank you to um, to you, Ash, for also just helping share the story um, and just hoping it, you know, makes some small difference for healthcare workers, just even in, in recognising everything they do. Well. If that story doesn't make you want to find a nurse and hug them or at least buy them a coffee, I don't know what will. Big love to all of the incredible um, healthcare workers, frontline workers that are listening to this podcast. Um, You guys, we don't deserve you, honestly. And my hope, my one hope for all of this bullshit that we've been through is that it brings to attention that these guys really are the real heroes in society, not people like me who sit behind a microphone and make podcasts. Thus concludes um, the return of the Ash London podcast. Thank you for listening to episode one. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure. Make sure you like and subscribe and do all that stuff. I don't know if anyone actually does. Does anyone actually subscribe, rate, review, or, or when someone says that, do you just tune out completely? Because I think I do. And yet here I am hosting my own podcast saying, rate and review it. Um, yeah, I love you guys. Uh, it's a South Thursday episode, so you get a new one in four days or five days on Tuesday, um, where I will be discussing a something that's crazy that um, happens to me every time I breastfeed. There you go. In the radio world, we call that one a hook. If you have any feedback, thoughts, suggestions, or just want to have a chat, you can hit me up anytime. Hello at ash.london. Audio production on the podcast is by Dom Evans. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.